I had to shake him on my last case, big O don't play. Alright guys, welcome back to another episode of the Muskie Hunks Podcast. I'm one of your three hosts this evening, Ryan Reed. We are actually down several hunks tonight, but that's not gonna uh, that's not gonna stop us. We got a we got a guest for this evening, and we are super pumped to be here. So let's go to see who we do have on the line tonight, and we're gonna start with Mister Tom Venata. Yellow, yellow, back again. How What's are up, things? Tom? Better than old Tony Hawk over there. <laughs> Don't even get word, me started. Word on the street has that someone was skateboarding tonight and. Took a little spill, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Look at that. Took a little spill. Didn't want to let the kids know that it hurt a little bit more than I let it on. I was like, oh, no, it's cool. No worry. Yeah, you know, and it just has kept on hurting and kept on hurting. <laughs> so I it's think, I, think I might have done I might have done something, something wrong to it. Anyways, that's I, enough about me. I am like really behind on messages. I, I probably am like two weeks behind on messages right now. <laughs> You're well, never gonna our, catch up. Yeah, now. with our with our text chain, that's understandable. I uh I missed that. So Owen, you're you are the other hunk that's on the line tonight, and you took a spill. I did. For, for those of <laughs> you that down. can't see, Owen has a brace on his on his wrist there. Yeah, my my wife is not real impressed with me. That's the rod holding hand too, isn't it? Yes, it is. Ooh. I know. I know. But anyways, enough about us. Enough about me. I, I don't even want to think about whether or not I've, I've actually hurt myself here because that would suck if I have. Well, it's good to see you boys and uh, be back on for another podcast. So I, uh, I, I'm i not going to get into too much here. We're going to kick it over to Owen. But I will say that I am a few weeks off of a brand new Wiley order and I'm I'm just in the best mood. I couldn't be in a better mood right now. We. Maybe we can discuss. We can come back to your Wiley order maybe a little bit later on here in the podcast. Yeah, we can. I want to get, get started with our guest here because I'm excited to excited to talk some muskies here tonight. Uh, in some in some what I consider, you know, I guess the holy grail of muskies to me personally, and that is your natural, you know, Ontario musky bruiser muskies. And so we have a guest on who is from Northwestern Ontario, and I'm just going to go ahead and introduce him. His name is Glenn McDonald, and he runs a guide service slash YouTube channel. Uh, He's also on Instagram and Facebook under the name 54 or bust. Okay. And so Glenn, welcome. We're really, really glad to have you here this evening. I totally appreciate it, guys. I'm glad that we were able to hook this up. Uh, just honored to be here. And I think we're going to have a really good talk tonight. I know just kind of chatting with you guys on our little Instagram chat, you guys got some questions about shield lakes and that's where I live. And we'll see if we can get through some of the BS and maybe find some truths in there. And we'll probably talk a few stories as we go too. Let's, let's get started by saying where in Ontario are you? Because I want to say that people down here in the States don't really have much of an appreciation for how big the province of Ontario really is. Okay, so I'm up in northwestern Ontario, so I'm on the shores of Eagle Lake. So anybody familiar with muskie fishing, 
pretty much knows about Eagle Lake, um, Lake of the Woods. So I'm on that end of Ontario. And just for perspective, it's about a 24 hour drive from where I live down to Toronto. And I could probably drive to where you guys all are quicker than I can get to Toronto from where I am. But where I live, I don't actually live on Eagle Lake, but I'm about five minutes away from it. And within a half hour of where I live, I can be on pretty much all the major waters in the area. And within an hour, I can be on everyone. I can be an hour, I'm on Lake of the Woods, an hour, I'm on Lac Sewell, a uh, half hour, wow. I'm on Cedar Lake. I can be on Wabagoon in 20 minutes. And then there's a whole host of lakes that we can you know, discuss from there. But I'm right in the middle of the heart of sunset country. Wow. That's kind of, yeah, that's if, if you're that close to Lake of the Woods and, uh, you know, Eagle, I mean, my goodness, Lac Sewell too. That's ridiculous. It would be tragic if you didn't musky fish. <laughs> hey, is there, is there a day that goes by that you're not on the water? Uh, yes, I actually have a full-time <laughs> career outside of fishing. Fishing is not my full-time gig. I do a little bit of guiding and a lot of people are surprised because we actually post a ton of content, whether it's on YouTube or on you know the socials. And people think that we are full-time guides and we're not. Like I got a 50-hour-a-week job away from this. And this is wow. my musky fishing is our stress dump. We get out in the boat, we crank some machine head, and we're just chilling. If we don't catch anything, it actually doesn't make a difference to us because that's our stress dump for our normal work week. And we just, the last couple of years, we started taking it to another level and it, it just, everything started to work out for us. And I'm not, I can tell a lot of people, I don't really have much into this game. So if it was to end tomorrow for us, I'd be okay with it. But that being said, I think we have a lot that we want to do and to promote our area at the same time. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's just to give some perspective, uh, of, to, to our listeners who are mostly from, I would say, I mean, uh, probably mostly from the States and, and, and down our way in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania in particular, um, you know, where you're talking about is if you, you would have to drive to Minnesota and then North from there to get up there. Um, like that's, that's how far West we're talking. Yeah. So to kind of give you guys an idea where we're at, if you were to drive to Minneapolis from wherever you are in the States, we're exactly eight hours north of Minneapolis by car okay. or by truck. So that's kind of where we're at. And one of the guys that's from your area, Kevin Goldberg, I'm sure everybody kind of knows of him. He fishes mm -hmm. on yeah. Cedar quite a bit. And he's up here, used to come up, I think, twice a year now. I think it's only been once a year, of course, with COVID, but... He makes a trek up here and he actually did a lot of video work on Cedar that we kind of studied as well. But it, it is a long trip, but guys do do it down from your area. So if you do have the opportunity to do it, it's definitely a bucket list type of trip. Oh, yeah. For, for me in particular, it's 100 percent a bucket list trip. I've I've even looked into, you know, what it would take to fly to International Falls and, you know, then drive from there. Like what's what's the drive from International Falls to you? two hours i was just down at fort francis which is the canadian side of the international falls border on friday picking up a freight order for my wife's shop my wife runs bobby sport shop in vermilion bay and it's pretty much the biggest fully stocked shop in the area oh, cool. and it's yeah it's loaded with musky stuff so a lot of our freight gets shipped to the border 
brokerage company gets it across. We go down, pick it up. And of course, I got a lot of stuff shipped there as well. It's just convenient for me. So that's two hours from International Falls and you can be right on the shores of Eagle Lake. So I wow. mean, that has crossed my mind before, uh, is, you know, doing that type of a trip. But then, you know, you got to rent a car or, you know, if you if, if I guess maybe lodges have a service where they where they will actually shuttle you to a lodge or something like that. I, I, I would look into that. The easiest would probably be to fly to Winnipeg and rent a car from Winnipeg. That's a three hour drive. It's manageable and it's a bigger airport. So you'd have a lot more options for flights, but we do have, we do see people that do that. So that's not outside of the realm of possibility. I know a lot of musky guys though. They just, they want to drive here. They want to bring all their stuff. They're not comfortable, you know, fishing with other people's stuff. So it's something to keep in mind. And I think in the tail end of it, most guys are going to want to come up here and bring all their own gear. And a lot of guys bring their own boat because they just, they want to be comfortable and, Anybody who's never fished a shield lake, it's intimidating. And if you're not used to fishing shield waters, you can come up here and swing and and miss every single day. And if you're not comfortable with the equipment, it's easy to make a ton of excuses. Yeah, well, that's that's a very good point. And I want to get into to what makes a shield lake a shield lake. But first, like, so you were did you? Were you born and raised in that area or are you a transplant there because of your career? Nope. I was born and raised here. So where I live right now, I'm 20 minutes from Dryden, which is kind of our major center. So I'm an hour from Kenora. I'm 20 minutes from Dryden. I was born and raised here. My family's lived here pretty much their whole life. We have a family cabin on Blue Lake, which is one of the nicest recreational lakes in the area. There's a provincial park on it, and it's it's a destination camping area. My family bought the cabin, or actually bought the property in 1957 for $125, if you can imagine. Oh, wow. And wow. put a cabin up there, and we've had it our whole life. I was out there for the weekend now with my family but we've always been here i've worked here my whole life and we've just everything that we need is here between fishing hunting the outdoors the snowmobiling the boating the hockey the you name it everything that you can want to do is pretty much right here for us that's pretty cool so have you been a lifelong musky fisherman (laughs) no (laughs) that's the short answer so to to kind of put that i guess that in perspective always been a fisherman, never been even a semi-professional. I, we just fish for fun. A lot of it was just smaller lakes. We'd take a 14 foot boat and a 15 horse in with a quad and we'd go for walleyes or, or pike. And then I went through a previous marriage where got a daughter out of it, which was great. And that kind of ended. And I met my new wife 14 years ago her family was all in on the fishing and they were all in on the musky fishing. So my wife's father and her two brothers were big time in the musky world and like big time where they, they lived and breathed it 14 years ago. And that kind of got the bug into me. And at the time her family was working at a tourist camp up North of here. And it's basically the most remote musky Lake in Northwestern Ontario that you can get to. So we started spending a lot of time up there and I kind of caught the bug and it like everybody that starts out, it was tough. I didn't catch nothing for a couple of years. You, you get a small one here or there and just enough to keep you excited to keep going. But through that, my wife's family 
knew Pete Mena. He would come up to the lodge and fish there. Um, Mr. Comer would fish at the South Lake where we were up. So there was a lot of musky activity around there. And it, it was just interesting to me that even that area, which was called Long-Legged and Stork Lake, that it was a destination for some of these big-time musky guys. And that I think it just kind of got the bug into me. And then fishing with my wife, she started to get into it. And I started to spend a lot more time fishing with my wife's family. And I learned a lot in those first couple of years on what not to do and what to do. It was hard to put it to practice, but that's, that's where it started for me. And we probably fished semi-hardcore for about four or five years and I think it would have been if I look back probably 2015 is where we started to get a little bit more serious and then 2017 is where we I think we took a big step up we started to improve our game and then like anybody that's into it once you figure out the mechanics of it and you gain some confidence it was just an upward trend from there so you're that's kind of like uh, i don't know i guess every guy's dream yeah uh, really you know, finding a wife and a family who are into musky fishing uh in in you know not only do most of us worry about getting divorced because of musky fishing <laughs> <laughs> you know you're you you got the best of both worlds you know so that that's really cool to hear and and so she you said that she runs a uh sports shop up there yeah, she runs Bobby's Sports Shop, and it's a Shell gas station. She also runs the other end of town. There's a tourist trap shop. She runs that as well. But through running the sports shop, we were to go, able to go to these big trade shows, like the buying shows where she would buy, and then all her musky stuff pretty much comes direct. So on the backside of the industry, we were able to make a lot of connections. So I, that's not lost on me that. I was able to rise up in the musky community because of that. It's, it's a tough community to break into, especially at the top end of it. And we met a lot of the people that were behind the scenes. So that, that kind of opened up a lot of doors for me. So that whole side of it, I think is really important because a lot of people always wonder, it's like, well, how did you get to do this? Or how did you get to do that? And context is kind of everything in that. And there's a lot of guys that go out and they fish and they're way better than me. They fish for a living, they guide for a living, but they just don't get those connections. And a lot of those connections are invaluable. Right. No, sometimes it's, it's, it's not what, you know, it's who, you know, to get you in a place to, and then, then it's, it's once you get there is, is, or will you take advantage of that opportunity? And it seems to me like Glenn, you're taking advantage of pretty much every opportunity that you're being given, given that, that this is not your full-time job. I mean, you put out a good, good amount of content, man. We, yeah, we try to, <laughs> the short answer is it's hard. Anybody that does YouTube knows it's hard. And we messed around three, four years ago, we started doing a little bit of filming. We bought a, a GoPro and we thought we were going to be heroes like everybody does. <laughs> and it, it just doesn't freaking happen. So fast forward to, 2019 2020 i started talking with brian scaife online through rick albers who i had met at my wife's shop and we we had lunch and and talked and there's a story in there that i'll tell you guys towards the end of this but anyway i got talking with brian and brian as he was coming up here when he was younger 
he fished Blue Lake where I had a cabin. So we just, we had this instant connection and Brian is just the nicest guy ever to talk to. He'll help anybody out. We've developed a really good friendship. So when the border opened last year, he was like, when I come up, we got to fish together. So we did, which was really cool. And that gave our channel a nice little bump. But prior to that, he was really instrumental in helping us figure out how to get a YouTube channel actually up and running. And that side of it, we weren't really going into it with any real goal. We were just, let's see what we can do. And we started doing content last year and turns out we caught a lot of fish. So it was easy to, to just put the content out and you go back and look at my content from a year ago and it basically sucks, but you got to start at the bottom and you got to work your way up. And we've Absolutely. had, yeah, I mean, I think we've... you could, you could say that about anybody's mm -hmm. content, you know, regardless. I mean, I, I, you know, looking back, I've watched a bunch of your videos recently and, you know, your content, you know, nowadays, the way you splice things together is, and that's one of the things that I wanted to compliment you on is, you know, a lot of the guys, they'll wave a bait around or they'll talk about something where, you know, you are showing the baits a in action, you know, you're, you're explaining it by video, then you're showing like underwater, some type of an action shot, and then you're splicing in a fish caught on that bait. And it, it it's really nice how you kind of wrap it, wrap, wrap a lot of this stuff together and I, I wanted to compliment you on that hey the other the other thing with this too sorry i didn't mean to cut you off there i just want to say like you know from my perspective and i'll just speak for myself here when i watch youtube videos like the biggest thing for me is trying to learn something new and a lot of what i like and what, what i enjoy about youtube is that fact that it comes from like your you know your perception your camera angle if it's just you out there with a gopro like none of us have the have this budget or time to put, you know, to get a camera, a camera crew out on the water following us around, you know, we don't all have channels that, that give us the ability to do that. But I think, you know, I think the important thing is like your content, at least from what I've, I've watched, cause I've watched a few of your videos now. And I, I personally really enjoy, you know, even the stuff from a year ago. I like that. I think that's, I think it's good when you're trying to help somebody learn, you know, to me, that's what it's about. So I'm with Owen on this one. I, I think you should be commended for that. You know, it's, it's good stuff. Uh, I appreciate that. And as we started going through last summer, it's, it's easy to make a channel that looks like everybody else's. And I look up to Brian Scaife and I think he does a wonderful job, but I didn't want to do another angling anarchy. That's not going to serve the world. I didn't want to do another Doug Wagner channel. I didn't want to do another Lee Token channel. We needed to make it Northwestern Ontario centric, which of course we are because we're here. So that's easy for us. We can be on a number of different lakes. And that's, that's something that separates us from a lot of other guys in the area is that we fish a, a lot of different water. We're not specialists on any one given lake. So that opens us up to a bunch of different content. And as we started going through it over the course of the summer, Dave and I, like Dave's pretty much my, you know, he's my right hand man in here. He, he, he's kind of my voice of reason at times between him and my wife. If I'm doing something wrong, they're not afraid to tell me they'll, they'll <laughs> let me know, you know, what we should be doing or what we should try. And we made a conscious effort that we were going to try and, educate we're going to try and help people because we're super fortunate i'm super fortunate i'm the least likely musky 
insert whatever name, hero, influencer, YouTuber, whatever. I'm the least likely guy, but it's, it's just, it's dedication and hard work and, and having a goal and, and being goal orientated. And actually right there, I'll, I'm going to back up a little bit because I found you guys through Mike Nablusi of Waterwolf Lures, which you oh, guys yeah. had on, which was a great episode. He's a cool guy. Really yeah, fun was, one. Yeah, we really enjoyed that one. Yeah, it was very good. I, and I talked Thank to Mike you. about it and I really enjoyed it. But he had shared an episode of yours through his socials where you guys talked to Jeff Contreras from Just Keep Casting. Mm-hmm. I had I had seen your guys' podcast and sadly I was just like, ah, it's just another musky podcast. I'm like, do I do I download it? And then Mike shared it and said, you guys got to listen to this episode at like minute 54, 48, whatever it was. So I downloaded it and I listened to it at work. And I was just, I was just so compelled to reach out to Jeff afterwards because the content was so good and so fresh. I liked where you guys were going with it. So I reached out to Jeff. He got a hold of me. We talked on the phone for two hours because you, you guys know that guy can talk. <laughs> Jeff and, can talk. Uh, he can talk. But we're we're kind of like-minded souls, I think, that way. And he kind of set us up for this. And, and I thank him. I know he'll be listening. I think he does a great job. So just kind of back to the original kind of question on the content, we really just we just don't want to make somebody else's channel. And over the course of the winter, because we didn't really know what we're doing last summer, we just, we recorded everything and we just kind of spewed it out as we got it. Then we had no content for winter. And it's like, how do you keep a YouTube channel going if you've got no content? So we started to repurpose it. And I think I just stumbled on that whiteboard, episode where i'm going to talk about spring to summer transition because actually one of the youtube viewers had suggested something like that and it just struck a chord with people and for us it felt like a natural progression and and kind of back to what you're saying ryan about the the teaching and and learning i think that's where i want to take it because again we've been super fortunate in this industry got a ton of great uh, connections and I deal with a lot of great people. I fished with a lot of great people. And I think a lot of people forget that the industry isn't just the guys at the top. It's the guys at the bottom who are just going out to buy their first musky rod and they want to learn. It's easy for all of us to sit here and talk about what we caught that 51 inch musky on and, and, you know, have a laugh over it. But the guy that's never caught a 40 inch, he just wants to know how to tie a knot or, or what leader to use. And it's easy to forget that at times. And I think we want to go back and try and, and help more people. That, mm-hmm. That's really the goal of it. And that's, that's a really good point because, you know, that's definitely something that I picked up on yep. uh, is that you're not doing it like everybody else. It's not very preachy. Uh, we, we, you know, you get a lot of this, like, everyone wants to show that they know the most about everything. And it's, you do not come off like that. You come off as a very kind of sense, sensible type of, you know, instructor in, in not, not a guy who's out there trying to, to tell everyone that they're doing it wrong and how I'm doing it right. You know, that's the vibe I get too. It's kind of like a professor in a classroom kind of like when I'm watching the videos with the whiteboard, it's like, that's cool. It, it's, it's different than anything I've seen. It's, it, it, like, so this, this is going to bring me, this is going to bring me to my first my first name drop of Dick Pearson here because Muskie's on the shield 
is my all-time favorite musky book. And whenever you break out the whiteboard and you're 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 drawing like saddles and you're drawing, you know, you know, spots on the spot, I think about some of the some of the uh diagrams that he has kind of sketched in this book of, you know, how to spot a neck down and, you know, and, and just all these different things. And, and I, so I, I, I really dig the whiteboard and, and the, you know, just giving viewers another way of conceptualizing what, what other people, you know, I've always said, I have a hard time conceptualizing my, my electronics, you know, but one thing I don't have a hard time conceptualizing is structure that I, you know, that I, like breaking down a, a, a structure that I can see, like a saddle or a point, things like that. But I think that's because I've read a lot of Dick Pearson and, and you know, a lot of those diagrams really sink into my, sink into my brain. I've never had my name said in the same sentence as Dick Pearson. So I, I may end <laughs> up recording that one and keeping that. <laughs> I make no claim to be anywhere close to somebody like that, but what he did in that book and in the video, which I actually have a copy of, which is very good to watch. He's breaking down a lot of the waters that we fish. And when you fish it all the time, like we do, it becomes second nature. And my father-in-law is very good at reading shoreline. And he comes from the, the walleye world first. And then he did some bass fishing and he's really good at reading what a shoreline looks like and what it might lead to in the water. And David and I always downplayed Harry. We're like, Harry, you just don't know what you're talking about. And then we went and fished Lake of the Woods and the Nestor Falls Muskie Cup. We fished it four or five times now. Great tournament, great bunch of guys. But when we went to Lake of the Woods, it was all new to us. And, and we had a hard time adjusting because it's not like a lot of the shield lakes that we fish here. So we, we found ourselves, how would Harry read this area or how would, you know, somebody else read this area? And just knowing that we had watched the Dick Pearson thing and knowing that my brother-in-law Jeff would read something different that that helps us on the water and then just fishing so many different lakes within our area like Eagle Lake the west arm of Eagle Lake is a deep clear trout water it fishes so much different than the center section which is slightly shallower with you know a lot of shallow shelf you know sandbar type of structure so it you get to fish all this different water and you get to put it together any one time on, you know, wherever you're at. And it, it's, it's kind of like that, you know, arrow in your quiver when you got enough knowledge, you can go on any of these lakes. Like I would struggle going to the States and fishing some of these big bowls in Minnesota. I just, I wouldn't know how to fish those weed lines. So I would look to somebody for, you know, the education on it. And I think what we're trying to give people is, some of that education and the whiteboard stuff's fun. You know what? Like it just, it is fun. And I'm not trying to be an instructor. I'm not trying to preach to people. I'm not trying to tell no, them this it. is the, the only way to do it. But when you come up here, there's people that don't understand what shield structure looks like. And right. you, you, you can't just tell them you need to show them. And, and we always, Dave and I, Richard, my brother-in-law that fishes with me quite a bit and Kyla, we're big about context. Context is everything. And if you can't visualize what we're doing and have context of why we're doing it, a video makes no sense at all. So right. a lot of guys that do the, the head cam or the chest cam, 
there's a place for that. That's just not us. We're not those guys. We're, I like to camera up on the post so you can, especially if I'm at the front of the boat, you have context of what we, what we're doing. And then when we take a fish out of the bag this year, we got some really cool plans for how we're going to attack that video wise, because now we understand the production value of what we're trying to do. And I think, I'm not sure if it was Owen or Ryan that said, you know, we don't have the money to do these big productions, but when you understand what production value can be in post, you can go in before you catch a fish and you can do a lot of the things to make your post edits a lot better. And we understand that now going into this year. So we're going to have a lot of really cool informational tidbits that we're going to put in there without breaking up the context of catching a fish on the shield. And I think it's either going to work really, really good for us, or it's going to be one of those things where people will be like, oh, this is just not quite right. But again, it, it goes back to what I said earlier, we're goal oriented and we'll try and, you know, we got a goal for the end of this year and we'll see if we can reach it. So I want to, so Tom has never fished uh, a shield lake. Tom's never been to Canada. So this True. is going to be, Hopefully he's going to be coming to, to Canada with me in September. So this is going to be his first chance, first chance to fish a shield lake. So one thing that I don't think many of our listeners are going to realize about these shield lakes, when, like you said about the West arm of, of Eagle Lake, that it is a clear trout bait. Uh, it's, it's trout water. And, and that is um, a term that I guess Dick Pearson uses the trout ver and, and what is that? That's the ogliotrophic par portion of the of the lake versus yeah. the mesotrophic, which is the uh, what's what's that called? Yeah, that would be your your shallower type of structure. We don't really use those terms up here. We basically okay. it's just if we're talking about trout waters, it's deep and clear. It's deep breaking shoreline with deeper structure and a lot of cases on trout water you are fishing super deep water and you're using bait fishes structure or you're using super deep break lines as your available structure it's just a different style of fishing and for somebody that's never been up here that can just be an absolute nightmare Yes. So, and the, the bodies of water that you're talking about having access to and fishing regularly, that kind of covers, uh, it, you could pick and choose whether you want to fish a, you know, the, the, the trout water, the clear deep water or the, the shallower water. What do you prefer? Um, well, I, I'll give you an example. Eagle Lake or Cedar Lake, sorry, Cedar Lake has three sections of of water so the west arm of cedar is clear it's it's not overly deep cedar doesn't have trout lake but if it trout in it but if it did they'd be in the west arm that's the clearest part it's the cleanest water you go into the center section of the lake and it gets into kind of a green stain with a lot of algae in it it's very shallow. It's got a lot of shallow weeds in it. And then you go into the east arm or the east basin of cedar where Sarek likes to fish. And it's more of a dirty clay, dirty mud water. And while it can be deep, it has a lot of sediment in the water. And for us, we like clear water because we 
you get to read fish a lot better because you can see them coming from 20, 30, 40 feet away. You can read what the fish are doing and we're used to fishing clearer water. So that we prefer that we, I wouldn't say we avoid the dirty water, but we certainly don't go looking for dirty water. Like a lot of Americans that come up here that are used to dirtier reservoirs types of lakes. So the guys that haven't fished Minnesota or some of those clear lakes in Wisconsin, when they come up here and, and if they were to stay on say Cedar and they're on that West arm, it can be challenging because you can see a follow coming off the rocks at half a casting distance and it gives guys way too much time to psych themselves out or figure out what to do in a figure eight. So it's, it's just different style of fishing. And I think our videos kind of show that because some of the figure eights on Cedar, you can see that fish coming in from a long ways and you can see it the whole time in the eight and you can read it. And it just, it lends itself perfectly to learning what to do, but it, also lends itself to making mistakes and when we started we made a lot of mistakes boat side because we just weren't good at reading fish and i think that's one of those things that once you learn how to read fish you'll start to catch a lot more fish in canada and guys like steve herbeck he always talks about like if you don't have a good boat side game in canada like you're just not going to make it up here and, and that's very true very true on all of our waters and Jim Sarek is, he says the same thing. And, you know, he's, he seems to catch a lot of fish, a lot of fish in the figure eight. Yeah. And I think we went into last year, it was kind of surprising because the year before we caught a lot of fish out away from the boat on different styles of baits and like it just a bunch of different baits. But last year we went into the year and we caught some on Soul Searcher by Bangarang Custom Baits. Or I think they're going to be exclusive at uh, Team Rhino Outdoors this year. TRO, yeah. So anyway, we got a couple of those over the course of last winter. And right out of the gate, that thing was just money. It was We were catching fish all over. We hadn't really got our camera stuff figured out at the beginning of the year. And then sadly, the kind of the prototype or the early one that that he gave me, it broke and I had to glue the bill back on. And for whatever reason, I grabbed a Dadson blade bait and we called it the blade with no name. And it, it kind of took on its own life on the internet. And that's not actually what Johnny Dadson called it, but because it it's, he's got a little bit of a private club on Facebook. We started showing it and I just come up with the name blade with no name. And that thing just, it's got a life of its own. Everybody wants one. And we started throwing that thing and we were just catching fish. It didn't matter where we were. That thing was just working absolutely everywhere. And the big thing is that it drew fish to the boat and we were able to hook a ton of fish at the boat with it. And it just became such a confidence bait. And I know guys like Sarek, like, like Pete Mayna, like you, you name any of those guys that fill them up here, they know they got to use confidence baits because there's just no room for messing around at the boat. Now, that the blade with no name, that is, I was watching the one of the videos, I think it was your top five musky baits for 2021, where you went over that, and it, it's got that dangle blade, you know, what, what exactly, in your mind, does that dangle blade, does that change the retrieve at all, or is that more just a, a flash thing that is there just, you know, just another attractant? Uh... <laughs> How do I answer and that? Is that the official name of it, the dangle blade? I don't know what anybody calls it. <laughs> I just started calling it a dangle blade because it, it just, oh, so it, it is did, the 
it didn't really have a, an actual name, but, uh. and a lot of other companies have similar things. It, it's, it's not like they invented it. It's just that they put out that one. And the difference with theirs is that the blade is on a clevis at the back and we put a hook just slightly above the, the back clevis. I shrink wrapped it all in. It actually fishes like a smaller profile bait than it is, even though that dangle blade hangs out. But for us, the key is having that back blade on a clevis. It, it just does not look the same if it's on a swivel hanging off of a hook, like you would see on like, say a red October tube or something, a swivel blade out the back just doesn't react the same. And if I give Johnny Dadson one plug, if you get a bait that Johnny has put in the river and hand tuned, the bait shows up, it runs perfect. And Johnny's baits have a grind in them. So anybody that's ever thrown a musky mayhem trigger, that grind that it has, that they had to put that little spacer in, while that does really work, Johnny's baits, when he tunes them and he bends the wire just so, they just have a grind in your hand. You can hear it in the water and they just, there's just something special about one that Johnny's had his hands on. And I know guys, there's guys that love them and guys that hate them, but when it comes to building bucktails, he's got some black magic figured out there. And for us, it, it just worked really well last year. So like, that's just a shameless plug there, but anybody that's argue with success, man, you you know what I mean? Like you, it's catching fish. No, that's right. And we caught a lot of fish on a lot of other baits, but when it, it come to grabbing a blade bait, I was just grabbing that one. And I've made the comment in the past with Suix, like we use a lot of Suix and I'll try different colors. And I always just, I end up saying it on the video. I'm like, I'm just going to go back to the one, which is an old silver jailbird. Anybody that's watched my videos knows that silver jailbird. And it's just, sometimes you have confidence in something and it just, it's a psychological thing. I know it is because if, if you were to just take a different bait and be stuck with it all weekend, you'd have to make it work. But in musky fishing, confidence is, is 90% of the game. It, it absolutely is. No question about that. Mm-hmm. I mean, and just on my limited, you know, amateur experience. Yes. Just f- having a bait that you feel comfortable with and you know how it's going to work sometimes is, is more important than having, you know, the newest or, or the, the, the fanciest bait. So, I, I mean, I like the fact that you are, you know, you tend to stick with, you know, your, your typical styles, but you don't stick with, you know, one to particular brand. Like you, you, you're throwing bold if, when it comes to rubber, I saw your videos, you're throwing Medusas, you're throwing Bulldogs, you're throwing Toads, you know, Tom's a big Toad guy, big big Toad toad guy guy. over there, big Toad guy. (laughs) Interesting thing on the Toad, so whenever John at Lake X come out with the Fat Bastard, I'll start there, they, it wasn't John, it might have been Jake, his kind of right-hand man, or somebody else that was close to them, come up to Canada give Kyla one of the original fat bastards. And we went on a tear with that thing. It was just lights out that year. And then fast forward to that winter, we had went down to Minneapolis. I can't even remember what it was for. I think it was a machine head concert of all things. Anyway, we stopped at Thorn Brothers and I bought a couple toads and I had one of my buddies at the Chicago show, pick me up a couple green bullfrog toads straight from John and I had talked to John a little bit just through messenger and we kind of chatted back and forth and, and nothing really became of it. 
Well, fast forward to that summer, and I think it was 2018, actually right about this in the musky hunter 25 more can't miss patterns or something book that they wrote a few years ago i got a chapter in there and i talked about this toad and that toad was just absolute money that year everywhere we threw it we were catching fish to the point that i glued the legs back on i don't know how many <laughs> times i bastardized another one to put legs on it i just wish we would have been doing youtube back then because one of my friends that owns a camp he's like you guys should have been videotaping everything you did with this freaking toad because it, it had a story all its own. And it, it just, it was sad that we didn't, but it started just an absolute love affair with toads. Subsequently, really good buddies with John now. And we were down in his garage a few years ago, we went down to park falls and we barely escaped there with our lives because it was the night before Wisconsin opener and him and Jake wanted us to stay the night. And I was like, if we stay tonight, that means we're staying the weekend. That means <laughs> trouble when I get home. But those guys are great. We went down to the Minnesota show this winter and we ended up hanging out in the Lake X booth on Saturday afternoon. And of course we got into some friggin' boy pops and, and we we're the last ones off the floor, but it was a lot of fun. And that just created a really good environment working with the guys at Lake X and then, and kind of back to you, Owen, we, we really pride ourselves on being very unbiased in what we do with our channel. Everybody that watches kind of knows what we use and they know our core lures or core brands we use, but we try to be very open to trying new things and open to, to showing new things. And one of the things that really drew me to you guys was that talk you had with Jeff Contreras and talking about the, the ego and the drama and the pro staff. And that, that really touched a chord with me. And I think we will kind of broach that subject here, but that's one thing that I really wanted to kind of not show on our channel is that we're one thing or the other. And, and my 16 year old daughter, she understands social media and she told me, she's like, dad, don't let your channel become an infomercial. And that, that stuck with me. Right. And that's, that's a good point. I mean, you know, and I, I always say there's a difference between a guy like you who, this is not your income. Okay. This, that's not how you make your living. So you don't have to bastardize it to the point of, you know, making, squeezing every penny out of it, you know, where, which is kind of why I enjoy doing this. You know, I've said a million times on this podcast, like the moment this becomes feeling like work, you know, I'm not going to do this anymore because I got a job that I got to deal with on a day in and day out basis. And I don't want this to be it. So you know, I, I like that you keep it, keep it honest, so to speak, and, and, you know, not having, you know, tons and tons of affiliations, but, you know, you can't blame guys that do have sponsorships. I mean, that's, you know, it's a business, but I think, I guess what I'm saying is what separates you is, is you not having to do this for a living. Yeah, it does. It, it absolutely does. And like, I think I said in the beginning, I don't have a lot of skin in this game. So if it were to end tomorrow, I would be okay with that. But that being said, I do have a lot of sponsors and I do work with a lot of companies, but I'm very open and upfront with them on what it is that we do. And we understand our value proposition and what it is that we do. So that makes it easy too. So kind of to that end, I, 
I thought early on in the Muskie game, like a lot of guys, you wanted to be pro staff for everything you could possibly get and plaster it all over your socials and your website and your email. And I realized that being pro staff for a company doesn't make you any better. And I just listened to a podcast in the, the marketing business space. And I, I don't even exactly remember what the context was, but the guy said, he's like, nobody cares that you're an authority in your given space, all they care about is what can you do to make me better in that environment? And that, again, that's something that stuck with me. I'm like, nobody cares if I'm pro staff for Lake X Lures. Like John doesn't even care. All John cares about is like, can we make a better product? Can we sell some products? And can we help people buy Lake X Lures? So I work with a lot of great companies and Everybody, like I said, everybody knows the companies we work with. I just don't go out there saying that we're pro this, pro that, pro this, pro that, because I think at the end of the day, you just, you let what you're doing, let your product kind of speak for you. And that, that way things have come to us so much more. And just a quick example, and this is going to sound a little bit harsh, but it's not meant to be at all towards company i was pro on the st croix pro staff team for a couple of years love their rods we still use them my wife's on their st croix pro staff team but over the course of the last summer i tried a couple thorn brothers rods i tried um, a few chaos rods and i was just like when i said yes to st croix that meant i said no to everything else and i think for new anglers that are looking for for deals you need to understand that, that once you say yes to whatever it is, that means you can't do anything with the other company. And I walked away from the St. Croix deal last summer and I have one of my very best friends and my mentors in the muskie industry is part of the St. Croix family, Kevin Wagner. He, he works as a rep for a bunch of companies. He's a rep for St. Croix and he's my sounding board. Like I trust him with just about as much stuff as I, as I trust David and, and my wife with and he's like, it's like, oh, I don't know if this is the right thing. He's like, but you're going to have a lot of avenues open up because you're not with them. And it did. It opened a ton of avenues up. And like right now, I would say that I'm working with the new owners at Chaos Tackle. And what Vince had said before I did this podcast, I was like, how do I, how do I discuss my relationship with you guys? Because we have a lot of things on the works. And he's like, you're just, you're part of our family. We're looking at influencers. And he's like, you guys are influencers. And he's like, you're part of our family. And I'm like, I like that, that, that works. He's not 100%. You can only use my rods. He understands where we're going. And I think that's going to be a shift in the industry that people are going to be more open to using different brands of lures, different brands of rods. And I'm not taking any credit for it. I just know that personally, that's where we wanted to go with it. That's that's a really good point because that kind of our, an episode that hasn't hasn't dropped yet. Um, we had uh, Joe Cermelli on, who's a, a a big big guy in the states for a multi species fisherman, and you know he was kind of talking about how you know you 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 don't have to be tied into one one brand anymore because social media and you can kind of farm yourself out in a bunch of different ways and pick and choose as opposed to the traditional way of like getting signed with one company and representing that company for lures all the way from you know rods on down so i think i think that's a good point and i would like to give a shameless 
pay, unpaid plug to chaos for their rods. Cause I absolutely love the, their telescopic, the, the telescoping. Uh, I have the, I have two of the green ones. And then I just bought one of the red ones, which is like the new, the newer one. Like, uh, uh, you know, I dropped 425 bucks on that because I know it is a badass rod. So, you know, I don't know if you've gotten one of those yet, but I, I love those rods, man. Yeah. I don't, it, it's hard to go wrong with the chaos stuff. And we, one of our recent videos talking about gear for beginners, we mentioned that I, and we're going to do a video here coming up shortly where we're going to talk about kind of the best all around rod from a bunch of different manufacturers. And again, I'm not going to, discount St. Croix because I don't promote them at the moment because that's a good option for a lot of people. But I do think that, you know, money for nothing, the, even the original series from, from chaos is a hard to beat rod for a lot of guys. And for somebody that's buying their very first rod, I think a nine foot SWAT or a nine foot shock and all can pretty much cover what any beginning angler is going to throw at it if you're a smaller stature or a woman i would maybe go with the tactical strike because you're not going to be throwing you know pounder bulldogs but the price point is right there i think chaos kind of covers a really strong section of the marketplace there and i know they want to do a big push with the rods and and i think the future is bright Rick did a great job with the company, but Rick will be the first to admit that he wasn't really big on the social media and he wasn't big on that type of promotion. And I think the new owners, they have a vision and I like where they're going with it. I just talked to Vince on Friday. We had a really good phone conversation and I do think they're a company that understands the, the industry now. And he's one of the guys that said they don't have pro staff. They have influencers and they're going to work towards that. So I, I do think that there's going to be a big shift in the industry. And I know there's a big shift in the media outlets coming. It'll probably be, I'm not sure when you guys are going to air this, but as we talk on June 5th, it's about a month away from being public. And there's going to be a big shift in the way some of the media outlets handle Muskie. And there's behind the scenes talk that they want to slowly change the culture and be less top heavy with the same guys at the top. And I think it goes back to what you guys talked about in that other podcast episode where it's, it's not about all the guys at the top. I'm not keeping the musky industry going when chaos sends me a couple free rods because I'm not helping them. We need the guys that are at the bottom that watch what we do, see what we do, and then they want to buy the same type of equipment because they're making an educated guess off of, or educated choice right. off of what we're doing. And we need to support the people at the bottom. And when somebody posts a fish on their social media and they're so proud of a 38 and you get a pro guide, that's like, Oh, that's a freaking joke. If it's not 53, like, why right. are you wasting my time? And, that's just a bad approach because I remember what it was like to catch a bunch of 38s. And I know I'm jaded now because we catch so many different fish. And, and the one video I did last summer, three forties versus a 50, I was a little bit shocked and upset at myself for catching a 48, a 44 and a 41. And David and I weren't super excited, but when we got a 51 in the boat, we were just high fives and, and, you know, <laughs> swear words and you just couldn't get over yourself. But for a lot of people, three forty inch fish, that's a goal of a summer. And 
we shouldn't talk to them like they're the issue in the musky industry because they're not. Those are the guys that are going to take the musky industry to the next step. Right. And those are the guys that are are watching on YouTube. You know, those, those are, the, are the views are, and the dollars. and the... Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we did one of our very first episodes, you know, way back was kind of what is what what is our beginner setups because you know we're all none of us are beginners anymore we we now all have multiple setups we you know but it's not that long ago that we were all buying our very first rod in our very first reel and making the mistakes and why did we buy this one as opposed to that one um uh you know like you said glenn a, a beginner cannot go wrong with that original green chaos uh telescoping rod which is at a price point i don't know it's about 200 dollars, maybe 220 dollars, which is not unreasonable the only thing that you can really get much cheaper than that is you know what maybe the what like an okuma the okuma the okuma which tom you like those but i've never i I still have yet yet to use one i do i mean they're nowhere near like a chaos but if you're if you only have a hundred bucks to spend and you don't want to go two, 300 bucks into a musky rod, it's a good rod, but they're definitely no chaos. That's for sure. Yeah. I had some questions for Glenn though. You talk a lot about like the sponsorships and stuff. And like, I know you said you don't want to put the sponsorships first and all that, but how like people now they want sponsors and how would you say was the best way to do that for you? Because I'm sure you've been through a lot. Like you've seen some come and go maybe do you remember the first and like how that happened or just some advice for people looking to get some maybe uh the first real sponsorship or or pro staff deal i had was with a guy out of ottawa pd's musky lures makes just a tremendous bucktail like i rank them right up there with with the dadsons of the world paul makes just fantastic lures um we parted ways because he had a vision for his company where he wanted it to go. And I had a vision that I wanted to be at the top of the musky industry or as close as I could get. That was my goal. And for me, his company wasn't going to take me there. So we, we parted ways and, and I still use some of his stuff and I wish him well. But when I was getting into the industry, I thought that I needed to have pro staff to be thought of as a legitimate angler within this space. Mm-hmm. So I had that and then I worked pretty hard at, you know, securing some sort of a, an open relationship with John at Lake X and, and they listed me as, as pro staff and, and that was great. And, I, and now John and I are friends more than we are, you know, pro staff and owner. And then we started using a lot of the Suix and I reached out to Michael Suix and he said, Hey, we'll list you as pro staff on our website. So we did. And that was a really good open relationship. And a lot of people question that because we throw a ton of dive and rise from a ton of different companies, but we always go back to a Suix. So that's worked really well. I did some video work and, and the video that Michael Suix ran in their Suix booth for the winter shows was our video. So that kind of stuff cool. just worked really good for us. But I've when seen you say lot- you were working at it, I mean, were you like sending emails or I mean, did like the videos and pictures speak for themselves or like how did how did you go about that? Like putting in the groundwork? Were you harass like I don't I don't picture you being the type that like harass people every day, like sponsor me, sponsor me, sponsor me, but to a Again, point I would imagine you have to kind of. If you- 
Again, you, you have to know what your value proposition is in whatever avenue you're in. So Owen makes, what is it, Big OS Bucktails? Is that is that right? Yeah. Big O's, yeah. Okay, Big O's, okay. So if, if I'd seen them on Instagram and I'm like, hey, those are pretty cool. I'm throwing a bunch of different style of Bucktails, but I really want to try and reach out to this guy. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to buy a couple because that's, I think the first problem is people look to other people and say, Hey, I would love to rep your stuff. Send me something." But I haven't tried it. Yeah. But I haven't tried it. Mm-hmm. I tell everybody that I would never ask for something free that I wouldn't be willing to pay my money for first. Mm-hmm. So I would reach out to Owen and I'd be like, Hey, here's where I'm at. Here's what I do. And here's where I think your product you know, ABC lure company fits into what I do. I can't get one locally. What's the best way to get one? I want to send you a hundred bucks. Can you send me three lures, whatever it is, build some trust in your relationship, use them. And I tell my buddies here that want to get into the industry, just let the music do the talking. If you build something from the ground up and you do a good enough job at it and you keep at it hard enough, they can't ignore you. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of, that's kind of our little motto here with the YouTube channel. It's just like, if we just keep doing what we're doing and we're not trying to, to brag it up and, and make it more than it is. But if we just keep working at it pretty soon, we're going to be big enough that people just can't ignore what we're doing. And we have tremendous support doing it. And the video has opened up a whole world for us I've had so many companies and private builders reach out to me over the winter to get lures in our hands because of our underwater videos. And we do our underwater videos on a crystal clear lake where our cabin is, and that sets us apart from somebody. Owen probably gets 50 calls a month. Hey, buddy, I want to rep your company hard. Can you send me some free lures? That does nothing for Owen. That does nothing for any company. But if Owen just happens to go through Instagram and he sees that, Tom has been posting picture after picture of nice fish and he understands social media and what it means. And it's not a me, me, me game. It's a you, you, you. He starts to see that. And then pretty soon after a month, it's like, Hey, this guy's doing something that everybody else isn't. Now I need to reach out to him. So then Mm -hmm. Owen reaches out and now you have that trust relationship going and a lot of people miss that in what they want out of pro stuff. They think it's a me game and it's not, it's not a me game. It's a you game. It's the, mm-hmm. when we do a YouTube video, it's not about me. It's about the viewer. And when you, well, Ryan would know this, when you're doing a video and you're looking into that lens, you're trying to reach somebody on the other side and you're talking to a person. And when you can make that connection, that that's a real connection, even though it's not, in person and face to face, you build trust with somebody. And that goes a long ways in this industry because this industry is very tight to, to get to the top. And we we've been super fortunate. I don't harass people. I don't hound them, but I'm persistent. And I understand what it takes to, to promote ourselves to the best of our ability. And I understand that a no 
can mean no, but it can also mean no, not right now, or let me see what you're doing. And, and they're busy. They, they got stuff they got to do too. But at the end of the day, Vince, the new owner of chaos tackle, he's just a human like me and you, and he just wants to talk fishing and, and business and he's got a vision. And if, if we can be like-minded and help him achieve his vision, that's perfect. But I don't just ask him for free stuff. That's not helping. <laughs> so, so when it comes to, when it comes to, you know, actually getting out on the water and fishing, you know, you are, you're out there more or less to try to get content, to produce content nowadays, right? Like when you, like this year, is it, are you going out to fish for fun or is it more or less to, to, to put out content? That goes hand in hand for us. Um, when Jeff Contreras and I talked, he, he'd said a lot of the same things and asked a lot of the same questions. And he actually would have been a good one to have on this conversation. Maybe that'll be something in the future, but unfortunately him and I would talk the whole way. But <laughs> I told him that I have that real job away from this. So fishing is fun. And I'm at the point where I have some guide days booked this summer. And I asked my clients, are you okay if we fill them? but that's an uncontrolled environment for me. So the content that I get from a guide day may or not be useful for me. So if I go with David or Kyla or Richie or Hunter from Temple Bay, one of the other guys that's in a lot of my videos, we can control that. And while we're going for content, it's still a stress dump for me. And as soon as this becomes work, then I walk away from it. So we look at it as it needs to be productive on a couple fronts. I need to reset my mental you know, base and I need to go out there and hopefully we get some content. But if we don't, 10 years ago, if I would have missed a 45 in a figure eight or it got off at the net, I would have jumped up and down and cried like a little baby and I'd come home and I've been so mad. Now I'm not that person, but I have also got a lot of experience, but I fully understand what it's like for those people that are at the beginning of this journey, but kind of back to what you had asked there, Owen, when I told Jeff that I was goal orientated and I told him years ago, I got into rock climbing and I wanted to be the best in the area. I never ended up being the best in the area, but there was a couple really hard climbs that I wanted to climb and I was able to meet those goals. And then we kind of stepped away from climbing. And then I got into being in a bar band with my buddy. We used to practice in my garage. We had some goals. We wanted to play all the local pubs and we want to do the big new year's Eve show at the big pub. So we did that. And then I walked away from it. And then I kind of got into the musky fishing hardcore and I have a goal here. So when we go out, we're trying to get content we're trying to get the right kind of content and we're trying to help people learn this game. And I know for me, I have a goal where I want to see this go come January, but this past three or four months has just been an absolute whirlwind for me pretty much since we went to the, the Minnesota Muskie show. I find, I was going to say, I find this interesting because I've, you know, some of the things that you've talked about, you know, how f sometimes filming becomes, it feels like work, it feels like a job. It, it, it can get frustrating. You know, I personally have, I felt that the last couple of years, you know, there's days where I won't even take the cameras with me. Cause I, I need that. I need that reboot that you talked about, you know, after working, you need to de-stress your stress dump. That's, 
you know, I, I think when you're, when you're doing this, a lot of times it's easy to get burnout, you know, and I, I think it's, uh, those, those goals that you have, you know, those are, those are good goals to have. And I think it's when you're focused on trying to help people learn and you're trying to give people, you know, something that will make them successful on the water. Like it's, it's easier not to get burnout, you know, mm-hmm. but at the same time it still happens. So it's one, it's one of those things where I can appreciate where you're coming from. Uh, it just, <laughs> you know, that grind, sometimes it just, it, it, it beats you up. I can't imagine how, how, how long the winters are up there too. Well, as we talk right here, June 5th, we're still two weeks away from an open musky season. We have the last opening basically in the free world and we have to pack everything into a shortened season. Like I I've been looking at Matt Bavrock and, and he's down there just hammering the fish and I'm just like jealous. Like I can't even go out. So we went and filmed some lures in the water yesterday and we're going to do a video Barrett Marabou versus flash bucktails. And I think that's beneficial to, to my viewers as well, but the winters are long and it's a lot of time to, reflect on what we did but to be honest with you guys after last winter our last day in the water was november 7th we got just a huge jump dump of snow november 11th and i didn't even touch my stuff for a month and a half in my garage it was pretty much christmas time before i even picked up the rods and stuff on the floor and i wasn't ready to get back into musky mode until part way into the new year just because I was burnt out, basically back to what Ryan had said. And it, it's not because it became a job. It's because it became a, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It, it became kind of a, a passion of, of love or a labor of love that we were trying to do something with the YouTube. And I started to see that we were gaining subscribers and, and followers that, truly were into what we did and then as we got into some of those whiteboard videos towards the latter half of the winter i did a decisive one on bump boards and i knew going into it it was going to be a touchy subject i wasn't fully prepared for what (laughs) the worst of humanity could give you in the musky world internet comments i'm gonna have to go i'm gonna have to go check that one out i didn't see i didn't see what happened with what kind of comments did you get so I, I basically did a, a video on you should, if you want to be a better musky angler, stop bumping every fish. And in the video, basically back to our unbiased approach, we talked about the need for a beginner to bump that 38 inch fish, get an understanding of what fish are at certain lengths so they mm-hmm. can see them in the water. Absolutely. But I feel that there's a double-edged sword there when somebody who's new at it, excuse me, somebody who's new at it and only catches say five fish a year when he bumps a fish and it's 40 inches he has that in his head as that's his benchmark and then the next time he goes out if he only catches a 39 even though he's happy he somehow feels let down and to a beginner that can be so deflating Mm -hmm. and again back to the internet comments people comment on that 39 inch fish like oh my god like why are you posting this garbage and I set the video up as, a, I'm not going to say clickbait, but it was slightly, I knew it was going to be polarizing. We only bump 
a handful of fish a year. So we're, we're horrible at it. Some of our videos we should bump more because I'm like, oh, it's like 45 ish. I don't know. But for us, it makes absolutely no difference for what it is we're trying to accomplish. But I put the video up. It got some pretty good comments, some good feedback. Some guys were upset. And then I put some links on Facebook and Instagram and guys that weren't watching the video were commenting on the thumbnail and how dare you tell me I can't bump a fish, but yet my guests can hold it. And I got one private message. I got three or four that were pretty hateful, but one in particular, I don't know who this guy was. He's like, I hope your boat hits a reef and it sinks and that you guys drown. And I was like, oh my freaking God, God. I that's, can't that's believe That's just this. ridiculous. That's insanity. Yeah, there's, there's nothing, nothing having to do with the fish that could make anybody that, that angry. Yet people do get that angry and do come out of the woodwork to make comments about stuff. Yeah. The and thing of it is, these guys, these guys forget that we're talking about a fish here. Yes, mm -hmm. everybody on this call wants to do our absolute best to take care of that fish. It's a resource. It's what we love to do. We try to protect it, but it's still a fish. You're, you're, you. These guys want to threaten other people's lives over this fish. <laughs> it's a fish. Glenn, I don't know how, how, how much the hot water debate ever really makes it up there that far north but down here oh that's mid ours, summer yeah. mid-july you know facebook is a light it's a with, war zone with you know people blaming people for for fish dying and fishing in hot water and it's it it gets really really ugly it the last couple of years we've had hot water and we kind of make a just a cursory post of time to put the big sticks away for a couple of weeks and, and just give it a break because while I have divided opinions on it, we have to lead by example. And so we kind of take a step away from it. Is that going to stop somebody that's staying at a lodge that spent $2,000 to stay there? No, it's not going to. And, and would I expect it to? No, I wouldn't. But as, as an influencer, a role model, or whatever it is that you want to call any of us, we have you know, an ability to try and promote the right thing to do. And sometimes those are the calls you have to make at the time. And kind of back to the bump board video, I'm pretty good at kind of deflecting stuff, but that was pretty hurtful. And it come at a time when we had just reached a thousand subscribers, we were going to be monetized on YouTube. And it was, that was a goal. I was like, if we could hit this in a year and we hit it in 11 months, I was like, that might be good enough for us. And I sat in my garage with David and Kyla and I said, you know what? I think I'm done. I just think I need to walk away from this industry. I just can't take where it's going, the drama, the hatefulness mm -hmm. and the, the guys that if you don't blur the background of your picture, I'm going to come and slash your tires. Like, I don't need that, man. Like mm -hmm. I, I, just, I got a family. Right. I just don't need it. And I was ready to walk away from it. Just full stop. And Dave's like, we're not done. He's like, we're absolutely not done. And we went to the Minnesota Muskie show. We parked in the kind of opposite parking lot and we're walking across the street to the building. We're wearing our 54 bust hoodies. Two guys walked up to us like, hey, man, we watch your channel. We we'll love your stuff. Friggin awesome. Like, nice to meet you. And we we weren't even in the building. We got in and 
I was expecting some of it from, you know, some people, but I was not expecting what we got at that show with the people coming up to us and showing us, you know, how much they appreciated what we were doing. That's cool. And that meant a lot, you know, and when the community at large comes together, you can see there's a lot of really good people in this community. That's, that's the stuff you need there to revitalize you. You know, when you're, when you're doing these videos and you're, you're, you're basically pouring your heart and soul into this stuff, you know, to try to help people. And the, the whole point is like, it should be fun. It should be fun for you to put these videos together and help people. It should be fun filming on the water, but whenever you get to a show like that and people respond positively, you know, that's the, that's the revitalizing juices there that, that they kind of relight that fire to keep you going. Right, Glenn? Oh, it is. And I heard you in our private discussion before you hit record that you're getting some Wileys in, I think, Ryan, is what you said. Oh, and he has them. Oh, I have them. <laughs> oh, okay. He sleeps with them in his bed now. <laughs> night. We had, we had a, a couple of buddies of, you know, in our group here, we ordered, uh, we put a place of fairly big order with Dale and uh, it was probably about 14, 15 months we've been waiting on it. So, well, yeah. to that end and, and back to the, the, the viewers that support what we're doing, I, one of my viewers, he reached out to me through Instagram messenger and he's like, Hey, I'm sending you some Wiley's cause he's got a really big collection kind of down your guys's way. And just out of the blue, he's going to send some. And wow. that's the stuff that happens when we build that trust with our viewers. Like I had said earlier, and you go to a show and I met a guy at the Minnesota show that complimented us on what we were doing we reached out afterwards and we're trying to set up a fishing trip and i set him up with some of the baits that we use and he's setting me up with some of his stuff and it, it's just we've got a really cool friendship going from that and if nothing else from the youtube just to get a couple really good friends like that it's just it's huge it's absolutely huge i wanted to ask you glenn i mean how old are you you're not you're not you're not an old man but you're you're <laughs> you're older right i mean 40s i'm saying 40s 40s maybe i think uh what tom's saying there is you're, no you're, you'll see where i'm getting at with this right okay so i'm quite a bit older for this industry so i just got into my 50s here shortly or just okay. a while back so that gives what? me a whole new perspective on this because while this is a touchy subject i'm very ego driven on what I've done. I talked about rock climbing. I talked about mm -hmm. being in a band, playing guitar on stage. I like that. I enjoy doing that, but doing all those things lets me go in front of people on a YouTube video or on a post and be able to be that person. And at 50 years old, I know that those kids that are out there just measuring their dicks, that's got nothing to do with where I want to go with it. And you have a different perspective because you've lived a lot of life and you've seen a lot of things. And I think um, you might have, one of you guys mentioned it earlier, seeing the sponsorship and companies come and go. I'm at that point in my life where I can deal with people differently because, again, it's not my livelihood. I breathe and like sleep muskies. So, like, don't think that I'm not appreciative of, of everything I got from these companies, but I also know it's a two-way street and that 
I think being older gives you just that different perspective on it. And I know a lot of people don't think I'm as old as I am because I act a lot younger, but doing what we do here, it gives us the ability to, to just live a younger lifestyle. And we're on the water a lot. I'm on the water probably four days a week, five days a week. And I have a full-time job. Like when you find time for your priorities, I don't fold laundry. I don't cut grass. I, my yard's a freaking mess. But if the weather's nice and I got a good moon at eight o'clock, I'm going fishing. And it, it's, it's, it's all about finding that right balance. And then I find time for my family. I find time for doing things outside of it. But it, it's, it's finding balance in your life and making the absolute best out of it. Well, I was what kind of boat at, do you run? Well, hold on one second. And I was getting at like, you're not you're 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 an older gentleman so that typically doesn't blend itself well to being a social media savvy kind of guy and i mean for an older man you seem to navigate social media very well and youtube and stuff and instagram like does your daughter help at all with that like you had said earlier you kind of focus grouped her about the channel and stuff does she kind of help out with navigating <laughs> social media or no but she's she is a sounding board and she she understands some of it. And, and again, it goes back to being goal orientated. When, when we had our, our garage band, we we're really good at promoting it. We we're, we, you know, we we're pretty confident at what we could bring to that game. And it, I started to understand what social media was. And I also, when I got into the musky world, I have a lot of people that I talk to that are on the inside of the industry. So like I mentioned Kevin Wagner earlier, um, I talked to Pete Mayna probably, you know, every couple months at minimum. And, and I ask him questions. I'm like, Hey Pete, this is what I got to navigate. What's your, you know, what, what do you recommend? And you, when you have people that have been on the inside, it's a lot easier to understand what needs to be done. And I think I realized pretty early on, it's not a me game, it's a you game. And, and that really made a difference in how we are able to understand social media, understand the YouTube stuff. And again, back to the going all in on the YouTube, I watch and listen to so many podcasts and watch YouTube videos about understanding YouTube, because I'm sure Ryan would know, you don't just put a camera up, take a video, put it on YouTube and think that that thing's going to pop because it just, if you don't understand YouTube, it doesn't matter if you catch five fifty fives in a day, it's just not going to work. I, I guess like even that's, like, he's only what, 10 years older than you, Owen, or so? Maybe only 10, six. 15 I'm, years I'm old. Yeah. So, and Owen's 10 <laughs> times worse than you at navigating the internet. We had, I had to explain earlier in the group message what like hashtags basically were on YouTube and stuff. Like, I'm not that bad. Well, yeah. You know what I mean, though? It's, 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 it's yeah. impressive to see if what I'm saying is it's impressive to see a 50 year old guy navigating YouTube better than I'm able to. And I'm, I'm turning yeah. 30 this year, and you seem to have a better grip on YouTube than I do. And, I, w I wish we would have got there without you calling Glenn old. No, there's nothing wrong with that. Jeez, you could have just said that ten minutes ago. It, yeah. It's again, it's it's all about understanding what your value proposition is to mm -hmm. anybody. So it it doesn't matter who I'm talking to in the industry. And I think when I was gonna talk with you guys, I reached out to Jeff Contreras and I asked, "What are these guys like?" kind of off the air are these the same guys are we going to get into a bunch of schmucks a different conversation that maybe i wasn't expecting but yeah. what i liked about your guys's podcast is that you are about 
kind of teaching that beginner like your episode on electronics or a few episodes ago it's like i told jeff i'm like that's kind of like um electronics for dummies kind of like that addition and that's yeah. that's valuable like that's not a joke that's that's valuable to people because you know some guys like doug wagner he shows his electronics in his videos all the time brian scaife never shows his electronics is one better than the other well no there's a place for each of them but i think when you guys talked about that that was really valuable to people and i like that you guys are kind of that grassroots type of movement and i like a lot of the things that you guys are talking about there's a few other podcasts that are in the fishing industry that the guys started out with the best of intentions but once they started to get all the a-listers on their phone they changed the way they did their podcasts and that's something that I think happens to a lot of people in this industry and it happens to a lot of fishermen. They start to get the pro staff and the contracts and the, this and the, that, and people are throwing stuff at them and they become somebody different. And I'm trying not to do that. And I also realize that it is very hard because you get a lot of people that want your attention or your time. And we're not really much of anything on YouTube, but there's a ground swell there. And what we are doing is having a positive you know, influence on people. And, and that, that means something to us. It's not lost on us what we're doing and we're trying to get better at it all the time, but being older back to what you said, Tom, it's, it's not a negative for us. It's a positive because we can handle a lot. We can take a lot of criticism and we, David's really good at this. He's like, buddy, let's just lead. Let's just go the uncharted course. If we follow, nobody's going to care what we do, but if we lead, people will notice what we do and, and we'll just keep doing it that way. And we, we try to approach our fishing the same way. And I know we haven't talked much about fishing here yet, but <laughs> when we, we started fishing in this area, we were catching a lot of fish and we really staked our name on fall fishing with suckers. And we were catching a lot of fish in the fall. We'd catch anywhere from, from 45 to 75, 80 fish in the fall. So like the month of October oh. until freeze up. And oh, wow. And mainly with live, live, live bait presentation. Yeah, pretty much all, all, all suckers. And we didn't know what we were doing when we started that game. We just figured it out and we fish a lot differently than everybody else. We don't have uh, a sucker out as just a decoy and then cast rubber to bring fish in. We go find the fish, we put the sucker in front of the fish and we catch a lot of fish and it's worked for us. It's a little bit unconventional to what you would see on a lot of you know people doing it, but we started having a lot of success doing that. But all the Eagle Lake guys, they just thought we were just, that's those guys they are fishing, you know, the other lakes, they didn't care. We weren't very important because we weren't fishing the big water. And then we started fishing Eagle and we started to get it figured out. And one of Dave's really good buddies, he said to Dave, he's like, you know what? He's like, last year, you guys are starting to piss us off because you guys are catching a lot of fish and you're starting to figure it out. And then we started fishing Cedar and started fishing some other lakes and getting it figured out. And then more and more people just started to take notice. And it was it was a good thing for us because we started to feel like we were accepted in the, the local community. And then the broader community, we, we did some filming with Pete Mayna. We filmed with Jeremy Smith from Linders and those opened up some doors, but it was just, it was more connections and it, it, it lended itself to just being more accepted within that greater community. 
Hmm. Well, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about like you, you know the, the our actual fishing. Yeah, let's talk so, some fishing. Yeah, when you go out, when you when you roll out and you you're you're gonna go out and fish tomorrow, and, or you know two weeks whenever whenever uh, the season opens up. What are you running? Are you, do you have an older boat, a newer boat? What do you what do you got? What do you got? So <clears throat> I got an older Bass Cat Pantera two, and I got that used a handful of years ago. It's absolutely nothing fancy, but for us, we can get as much done in whatever boat we have. We don't need that, you know, hundred fifty thousand dollar boat. I can't afford that. I don't have a boat deal, nor would I probably take a boat deal. Well, that's that, that's kind of, you know, why I wanted to get into this, because because you aren't you know, you don't have a boat deal. Like, I like to know what guys, you know, use and what they make work, because I have a totally off brand boat that I'm re-rigging myself and trying to make it work. So I like hearing about, you know, what guys are running and how they have it set up. So I got the old Bass Cat and a couple of hummingbirds, three hummingbirds in it. I don't have live. I don't have any of that stuff. I may add a Garmin this year. That's kind of still up for debate because I don't think that content wise, that's going to do a whole bunch for what we do. So is that $5,000 well spent for the goal of creating content? I don't think it will. We added a drone this year. That's going to help our content more than, than a Garmin. So we fish what out hum, of the- what, what three hummingbirds do you have? I got a nine, a 10 and a seven that I just used for- uh, navigation only we got mega live or mega side imaging that's probably one of the most valuable tools up here just finding structure right i know guys like brad hoppy they always talk about the side imaging and that that's super valuable on shield lakes because a lot of times when you're fishing structure you don't see the other structure on the deep side of the boat or the the canadian side of the boat like lots of guys talk about and and that's that's key and we found a lot of structure just having that side imaging. So we use that. Um, David's boat, he's got a 16 and a half foot crest liner, tiller. We fish a lot out of that. You see a lot of that in the video. Um, he's How got do you have the boat set up for video if you're switching back and forth? Are they b both set up similarly? Uh, yep. Yeah, pretty much. We have a center tower cam on the port side. So in the bass cat, it's right by the windshield. So any of the videos where you see the white boat with the big casting deck, that's my boat. That's the bass cat. That camera angle gives you a great view of the angler at the front of the boat. So you get a lot of context of what goes on. And then we have a camera facing backwards there. This year, we're going to actually run a camera at the very far back starboard corner just to get an overall feel for the boat. Because again, I think context is everything when somebody catches a fish on whatever lure it is, or even in a figure eight, if you just see that gunnel cam and you don't see what the angler's doing and how he's reacting to a fish, you can't teach people anything. If you just said, well, look at what I did in the water, that, that just doesn't help. So we set our boats up. So they're both very similar. So if we jump in David's boat or my boat, it's very similar. If I go to Temple Bay and I jump in one of the Temple Bay boats with Hunter, we put an easy cam post up at the back. We have a camera for the overall. And in that case, I may run a head cam just to get some different shots. But visually, I don't like the head cam in any of the kind of that talking head stuff that you do when you pull a fish out of the bag. I just think visually it looks slightly mm -hmm. just, jacky 
Yeah, it's just it's not the look mm-hmm. I'm going for. I appreciate how the guys do it, and you you have to get by with what you get by. But we're trying to do something a little bit different, so that's not the approach that we go for. Um, we're not into the big fancy boats. We don't need anything over extravagant. Just money wise, boats new boats are so expensive up here. It just doesn't make sense to to go get a new boat just to do the same stuff that we're basically doing out of it. I got an old 16 foot Lund Rebel, the old tinner that we use in the fall, and we've backed that thing through ice. We've broke ice with it it's the kind of be all do all so what we do i think is just and i think we will do a video this year about what we use because i've gotten those questions and i think it's valuable that for those beginners out there you don't need the fanciest rig you don't have to keep up with the joneses you don't need all the fancy graphs you just need something that you guys can get out in that is good enough to go fishing and is safe on the water and that's that's the type of stuff that 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 our listeners want to hear is like what you know you don't have to you don't have to have you know a a, an eighty thousand dollar ranger and every other every angle covered for for youtube purposes to put out some 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 good content like you guys do you can do it with you know with with something you know, manageable, you know, price-wise. Excuse me. Yeah, absolutely. And my bass cat, I got it for like 8,500 bucks. I basically stole it from the guy, super nice guy. He, he's actually from California. He's moving back there and he was so happy to see us get it. And it's actually getting used again. And, And that means something too. And not that we wouldn't fish out of a newer boat if we could afford it but it's just it's something that's just not necessary and i think that's another kind of a black eye in the industry that a lot of people think if you don't have the right kind of boat you're not going to excel in this game and that's just so untrue i think you need to just have a safe solid boat and you need to put a little bit of money into some gear and your release tools and your net and put some money into your education i think instead of going out and buying that fancy boat or buying that second rod, spend that $400 and go out with a guide for a day on your local area. Even if you don't catch a fish, you're going to learn so much on the water with a reputable guide. I know it's a little bit harder nowadays because guides are, they're, they're torn between dealing with stuff on their phone and, and the next guest and the next client and dealing with sponsors. But when you get a guide that can show you stuff on the water, you can learn so much in, in one day with people. And I, we talked about that in a video all about confidence. And I firmly believe that I've learned more fishing with guys that are better than me than I ever would on my own. And that's in any sport. If you play hockey and you play hockey with guys that are better than you, you're going to get better. If you think you're the top dog and you never want to have somebody in your boat that's better than you, you're never going to get any better. Ryan preaches that a lot about how just getting a guide can save you so much time and effort and headache. And you can just, it's like the information you learn is invaluable. It's worth more than that $400 guide trip. And I think that's even more important in Canada and kind of to circle this back around to these shield lakes for even for guys that have been coming up here for years, the the lake levels change and each year the bites a little different and just coming up and spending time with a guide here can eliminate a lot of that learning curve and 
we do see guys that come up here that are like, nope, we're going to go it alone because they want that prestige of they figured out the puzzle of Canada. And um, that can work, but you can also, we see guys come up to Eagle Lake and go home after six and a half days with zero fish. And that can be a de- totally deflating experience. And we see other guys that come up here and fish with a guy like Cal Ritchie and go home with a six fish week and get a 52 and a half and they're super pumped. So that's something that each guy needs to weigh out before they you know, plan their trip. But something that we talk about a lot and I get a lot of questions is like, where should I go in Canada? And you need to understand what it is you're looking for in a Canadian trip. Are you looking for that one big fish? Well, then go to Eagle. You're going to get a shot at a big fish. Every cast is a big fish, but they don't come easy out there. Do you want to catch numbers? Well, then you go to Indian Lake Chain or Canyon Lake or even Cedar. You're going to get some numbers. You're going to have a shot at a maybe a 50-ish fish. Is that enough for somebody to come up here? You need to really be honest with yourself on what you want to get out of a Canadian trip. So, like you had said, Owen, when we plan a day of fishing, so in two weeks when we're going out, where are we going to go? We read the weather, we read the wind, we're like, oh, it's, it's a south wind, so that means that maybe Eagle Lake's not going to be perfect, but we can go to Cedar, we can put in at Clark's Northern Lights, it's a north-facing landing, we know it's going to be nice and calm, we can figure out our day from there. That's the beauty of having a lot of lakes here. You can plan your day around the weather, around what it is you're going to see on any one given time. And for people that are coming up here, it, it's understanding what it is you're looking for and what, how much you're willing to kind of risk it all for what it is that your goal is. That's kind of how I've described it to, to the guys when I, when I why I go to Nipissing it's it's the same thing you know you're i don't go up there expecting to catch 10 12 fish in a week uh but when i do go up there and i have gotten a 54 and a 50 so you know it's but with you know you don't you don't get the numbers but if you go to that destination and you're willing to do whatever it needs to be done to get those fish then you know, I, I love that. I love that about those big lakes. I want to go to Lac Sewell. I want to go to Eagle Lake. You know, Lake of the Woods doesn't interest me not quite as much as as uh, as Eagle or Lac Sewell do. And I think that's because Lake of the Woods is a different fishery. It's um, it fishes different than some of our kind of pure shield lakes. The just the topography of it is just it's just different. It's it's a different water. I don't dislike Lake of the Woods because I think it's amazing, but I don't have a ton of experience there. We have a lot of experience on Cedar, on Eagle, on Peralt, Canyon Lakes, where we catch a lot of our tiger muskies. That's something that comes up in a lot of our comments on the channel. We Tom Tom's a huge. I was going to ask about that. Muskies. Yeah, yeah. You you do you post a good number of tiger muskies on Instagram, and it's always like, holy cow. You know, that's you don't see those all that often. Tom's Tom is dying to get one of those. And to be I might show my stupid here, but I never thought of like your area is really a tiger location. And I mean, you guys are cranking out some killer tigers, like not small tigers either. No, we're fortunate. We have well, the Indian Lake chain and Canyon Lake have a high population of tigers. We probably catch 
at least 10% of what we catch in any one given year are going to be tigers. So if we put a hundred fish in the boat, it's, we're going to get 10, it's probably higher. We probably get 15 or 20 tigers, but. And you're not targeting those. You're, those are just coming as bycatch fishing for regular muskie. You're not. Yeah. For the most, yeah. For the most part, there's, hmm. there's areas where we kind of expect tigers to hang out a little bit more than the, you know, just the pure strain muskies, but we, yeah, we're very fortunate. I try to post, um, tiger Tuesday all the time on Instagram. It doesn't always happen, but we get a lot of tigers. My wife caught a tiger in 2018 on cedar on what we call camp reef on a sucker. I went there in July, 2019. I got the exact same tiger on the exact same piece of structure on a toad. And I got a replica of that one. That one was 45 inches. I've caught a couple on Canyon Lake that are, again, we didn't measure, but like it's a 47 inch all day ish, maybe 48. And we're getting some, yeah, we're getting some really nice tigers and we catch a lot of them. They're fun to catch because they're more aggressive, like the parent pike. And these are all natural tigers up here. So it's not a stocked fish. What is it about those lakes that tend that I guess lend themselves to, to producing tigers? So because we have that big population of pike and muskies and any one given spring, we can have a really late spring where we have ice on the lake. Like this year, we had ice on the lakes until May 13th. So the water temps were still in that 40 degree range or cooler. And then we get a really quick warm up. So the pike are spawning at that, that 40 degrees. And then it warms up so quick that the muskies go in at 50 degrees and they overlap and we're getting a lot of that cross pollination of just natural tigers and we'll get year classes where you'll see a lot of them of the same year class and then you get a couple of years where you get a, a, a typical spring where it the ice is off early and it warms up gradual so they don't meet on those spawning grounds but the lakes that have them have a lot of them and there's some big ones up here they're fun to catch it's fun seeing clients get on their first tiger because it, it's a bucket list fish for everyone. And again, it, it, sometimes it feels like it's lost on us because we catch so many of them, but it's not. We realize that that's a fish that a lot of people want to catch. And I know it seems like at times we post them, like it's just, that's a matter of fact, but it's, it, they're just a cool fish. They're super cool. They're just, you can't, it, you know, you see somebody catch one and you just can't explain the look on their face when they hold it and they go back and forth and they're just and checking it out. And it's different seeing it being a totally natural, you know, phenomenon other than a, you know, a stocked fish out in Utah or something where, you know, it's, it's a beautiful fish, you know, it's still a gorgeous fish, but there's just something fascinating about that natural reproduction like that up North. It's, it's so cool. I feel like that's probably one of the only places you're going to get like a ton of natural reproduction, like Canada and just like Northern, you know, wherever, like Minnesota or, or, or wherever, where you have the, those giant populations of both pike and muskie. Cause like here we don't have any natural reproduction really. I mean, maybe some in our rivers, but like, you're not going to get that instance, like what Glenn is talking about here with, with ice out, you know, late springs and things like that. You're not going to get that down here as much as you would up there. So no, and I yeah, think that is a yeah, that is a big part of it, Ryan. Is that our weather and our climate is super conducive to producing natural tigers when you have both species in the lake. Yet a lake like Eagle that has both, 
the spawning areas tend to be slightly different on Eagle. So you don't see a lot of hybrids on Eagle Lake. And it's kind of a mystery why some lakes have them and some don't. But with a, a lake like Eagle, there's so much current flowing through it that the, the spawning areas end up being a little bit different. So I tell people, if a tiger muskie is on your list of bucket list fish, just Eagle Lake is just not the place to go for them. There's other choices that would be better. That's interesting. So, Tom, if we ever make our way up there, I know, yeah. where, I know where you're going to be headed. Yeah, I might have to split off there for me, boys, if we go up there. I'm that's going with Glenn lot. to get my Canadian tiger. That's a lot close, uh, closer to Westmoreland County than uh, Utah, just saying. Yeah, it is. That's <laughs> true. You, Glenn, you had mentioned that there were some areas that jumped out at you that you thought were a little more tigery than others. Is that just like a local thing, like just from being on the lakes? Or do you think that tigers kind of favor different areas or? We wrote a piece about tiger muskies and uh, I think it was Hook magazine up here and small tigers act like small pike. So they're in those shallow bays, the weedy bays, you would expect to see. Oh, small I've seen pike. that around here. Yeah. So, so when you look at a big tiger, they are going to act more like the parent pike. So think of a big Northern pike they don't hang out in the back of that sloppy bay. They're out on the main lake. They're off that first break. They, they're a lot more like a muskie that way, but they don't really relate to structure as much as a muskie would. We tend to see big tigers in current areas. So a lot of our lakes, all our lakes are river systems or part of a river system. So when you look for that main lake current and deep breaking shoreline or you know, uh, neck down to a, an outflow. Those are areas that we're, you know, we're more confident that you're going to see a big tiger in that area. Is it pure science? No, we're not perfect on that. But when you're looking to try and target or expect to catch a bigger one, that's where we would look for them more like a big pike. That's neat. I never looked at it that way. And I mean, that makes total sense. I do. I mean, looking at what I've seen around here on our little stalker tiger lakes, that's where we're always catching the little little tigers are right exactly where you'd find the little pike so, so maybe i'm it, looking in the wrong areas yeah i could be um to take it a step further we catch a lot of our tigers in the fall and when we're sucker rigging we're looking for current areas where the bait fish is going to be in and when there's a an abundance of bait fish the muskies are going to be schooled up and if we're seeing a bunch of muskies in an area you can, and we're on a lake that has those tigers, you can almost be sure that the any tiger in a population is going to be more aggressive than the pure strain muskies. And we see that every fall that we start to catch more and more tigers, because as soon as you get that sucker down to that mark on your graph, that fish is coming right up. And it's just nine times out of 10, you're going to catch that tiger first in that local population. And they're so aggressive. And because they don't have reproduction in their DNA, even though there's talk that some tigers can reproduce, I'm not sure the exact science on that, but because it's not front and center, all they think about is eating and they just have a ferocious appetite up here. And we see them, we've caught them from year to year to year and they grow like three inches a year. It's crazy how fast they grow up here. Wow. And I'll share some pictures with you guys on our Instagram 
chat on how we watched a tiger go from 37 to 41 to 43 and a half over a three summer period and they were all caught it was all caught within about 100 yards of one another so these fish are territorial they stay in a spot and they just they have crazy appetites and it's it just it's fun to see them year after year like that and in the fall i tell people if you want to come up to ontario and catch a tiger the fall on a lot of the lakes that we fish is going to be your absolute best chance to kind of tick that box off your list. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, Hey, we're, we're, we're just quickly running up on two hours here. So I wanted to ask, I, I have a couple questions that I wanted to, to get to with, with Glenn. One of which is I know that you, when we had Mike from Shadzilla on, you had messaged and mentioned that we didn't get to the topic of, of what type of leaders, um, that Mike would normally use with, with Shadzilla's. And that kind of made me thinking, I'd like to have Glenn's opinion on, on leaders. But since you, since you clearly fish all like, let's say five categories of baits, um, you know, top water, bucktails, crankbaits, uh, you know, what, what type of leader are you using on all of those? Like dive and rises, jerk baits. Are you oh. using the same type of leader or are you switching leaders for each type of bait? So we, in our boat, we basically have rods set up for every application. And I, I know that's kind of gluttonous, but that's what you do when you're at kind of this end of the game. But that being said, I would suggest most guys would probably be best served changing leaders for types of lures based on the lure. So Dive and rise. We use a ton of dive and rise. I like using uh, a nine or 12 inch solid wire leader. And I don't like the snap where it goes on to the bait to be shrink wrapped. I like that snap to be free or I use um, a split ring there so that that dive and rise can move. I think shrink wrap snaps on a dive and rise react differently to your bait. Um, bucktails, I've been using a lot of nine inch fluorocarbon. I feel like that's enough of a leader. I got control over it in a figure eight with a nine foot rod or a 10 foot rod. I don't need a one foot leader. I just have more control with it. With a lot of rubber, we were using mostly solid wire leaders, but I do feel on some of the baits, especially the ones that you pull and pause, like a bulldog, like even a Shadzilla or a swimming dog, if you're going to use that motion, that again, a wire leader can kind of react negatively. So last year, even though I'm sponsored by Husky Musky leaders up here in Canada, he didn't have a 49 strand wire leader. I got a couple from leaders and lures in the States from one of my buddies. And I started using that 49 strand nine inch wire leader. So it's flexible, like a fluorocarbon, but it's stiff enough. I just absolutely fell in love with that application. I can use that probably 90% of what we do so much so that Husky Musky leaders is going to make some just for us for this year to try out. Because I, I was like, that may be one of those instances. If, if this company doesn't offer it, I would walk away and go buy leaders out of my pocket, then, then get free ones because I think that's such a great product. I know Doug Wagner uses them all the time and I think you can use it, especially with rubber. It gives that stiffness, but yet it's soft enough that rubber will move in its own 
manner. And I think stuff like Shadzilla, Swimming Dogs, Poseidons, it's about that belly roll and the movement of the lure. Anything that you can keep the action of the lure without harming it, I think that's going to be beneficial. And I know for beginning anglers, they just think, well, I'm just going to buy whatever the leader is hanging on the wall at the bait right. shop. And, and they think that that's okay. And in a lot of cases, they don't know that, but it, it's hurting what could be their success. So if for, for a beginner, if you, if, if you had to say, look, you got to pick one thing, you know, if, if you had, you know, one leader, would it be a, would it be a, a wire? Would it be a, 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 a stiff fluoro? Right now, today, I would say if a beginning angler, I would say get a 49 strand, nine inch wire leader. It's flexible. I would say use the smallest snap that's going to be strong enough for your application because I don't like the huge snaps. Again, that just it reacts negatively to lures. We're going to start using more and more split rings because it just everything's streamlined. Your presentation is going to be better. So the short answer would be I would suggest the 49 strand wire leader or a solid wire leader, like a nine inch, you can do bucktails and stuff with it. The only problem there is if they kink to beginners, that can be another thing where they just, they're not sure how to handle that. That 49 strands really nice. It's kind of like a happy medium in between your regular wire and your stiff wire leader. It's. I think you're right, Tom. I think that, yeah. I think if, a, if more people were to try that, they would realize that that could be the best all around option. Mm-hmm. I know one of our local buddies, we, our past guest, Nick Colangelo, that's like, he, he swears by them. And I know a lot of my buddies have start, switched over to them and they've kind of gotten me to make the switch. And since using them, it's hard for me to go back. Well, do you, ha- do you have some of that 49 strand yeah, wire, Tom? Are you using micro surflon, Glenn? Or? I don't even know what it is. Oh, the- oh, you, oh, yeah, never mind. Yeah, I think I do. I'm pretty sure what I have is what he's talking about, but we can play <laughs> with it, Owen. The stuff Dan, the stuff Dan's making, I believe, is that similar. Yeah, yeah, it's very similar. Sure. It's yeah. very similar. His is like shielded almost, but no, that stuff works cool. really good, and and it mm. it can be used in a just a variety of of different ways. So I think you'll see more and more of that on our videos this year, and it's something we're going to touch on. We've already made a kind of a conscious decision that that's one of the you know subjects we're going to talk about this year. Leaders are a big thing. I mean, especially for beginner people, that was one of the most intimidating things for me getting into it. Because I mean, bass fishing or carp fishing, like you're not worried about that. You're not worried about five different material leaders and the difference between a nine inch and a 12 inch leader. And it's it's a big mountain to overcome. So we like talking about leaders. Yeah. I mean, my first experience with ever needing it was being having a shad wrap, you know, having a, a big pike cut off a shad wrap up in up in uh, up in the boundary waters. And then, you know, I, I just went to whatever the store was back then, you know, it wasn't Bass Pro Shop, whatever, and I just bought your, your typical wired leader and used that thinking that that was the answer. And obviously, you know, that's, that was not the answer and, and continues to not be. <laughs> I think it's, a, I think this is interesting though, because there's a lot of different techniques and that you need to adjust your leaders for too. You know, because like I went like you guys mentioned about having like struggling in this area. That was probably one area I never struggled in was leaders because I went full like I've, I've been throwing leaders as long as even I was bass fishing. Like I always just put leaders on even when I was bass fishing. So it's kind of weird, you know, for me. But we're talking like 15, you know, 20 pound 
bass leaders that I kind of just upsized to like 30, 40 pound leaders for musky fishing, which, hey, for what I do in the winter, it works. But it's risky biscuits there, Ryan Reed. You're playing a dangerous (laughs) game. I don't know, man. I've never had one break me off. And that's that's the thing. I think it's that time of year. You know, I think there's there's different scenarios where you're doing Jeff might Jeff Contreras might agree with me on this one. I think depending upon the time of the year and what you're doing, I think you got to adjust your leader at times, too. Yeah, I don't disagree. I think some of the guys up here will downsize in the spring. Something that we've done the past few springs is we've actually used bigger lures than what we normally would think of. So for us, we're, we don't really change sizes through the year near as much as what most people think you have to, because our season starts so late here that if we had an early spring by the third week in June, the fish can be already moved out to their summer spots and you're straight into summer fishing up here. And it, it's, it's so different because we just don't get any of that, that pre-spawn, that spawn fishing. Some years we don't even get post-spawn. By the time we get fishing, the males, their wounds have already healed up and you're just straight into summer fishing. So it, it changes every year based on that spring that we have. And I just don't think that the downsizing in the spring all the time, especially up here is, you know, always the right approach. You had mentioned the downsize snaps too. That's something I like. I like hearing that. And I tell, I told Ryan that before, when I first met Ryan, he was throwing a lot of like the Husky jerks and stuff. And then he'd have a big giant snap out front or like we'd be using the little baby four inch, five inch gliders with like a 300 pound snap on the front and something that big out front of a little bait can, it can ruin a bait. It can throw the action completely off. Yeah. And that's something we've seen that the company we worked with, with, with the leaders, he puts on a number five or a number six snap. And like, they're just massive. I usually downsize them to like a a size four or a three in some cases, just because you don't need them as big as you think. And we have a box full of snaps. So if a snap looks like it's getting wore out, I just take it off or I take the leader off and toss it. And again, that that's because of where we are in the industry, we're going to get new ones, but for a beginner, that's invaluable too. If you got a leader that's got a kink in it, just cut it off and buy a new one and put it on because do you want to risk losing a fish of a lifetime over seven bucks? Like it, mm-hmm. if you're going to get into it, you better be into it all the way. Right. I like that. Well, guys, we're, 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 we've hit the two hour mark. So I wanted to, to see before we, before we, you know, wrap it up, is there any anyone have questions, anything that they had on their on their list that they wanted to ask Glenn? Because uh, we don't have to wrap it up right now, but uh, I know my wife is going to be looking for me here in a little bit. So wanted to at least start start the process. I kind of had one. So it's a stupid one, but I kind of I like asking our Canadian buddies when we have them on. So we in the States have a massive headache getting Canadian lures. What about you guys up there? Do you have trouble getting our lures from down here? Like the, the Wileys that Ryan's getting or is it is it like a big shtick like it is for us getting Shadzillas down here? Um, For the average guy, probably it is for for guys that are connected in the industry, it's probably not as hard. So I probably not the right guy to answer that, but overall it is a little bit harder. I know shipping is a big issue for guys from the state sending stuff up here, but social media makes this world a lot smaller than it is. So 
you can pretty much get your hands on anything. It's again, it's back to that. What are you willing to give to get that? And for most guys, if they have something in mind, they're going to make the effort to try and get it. Um, I don't really have an issue, you know, really getting my hands on anything, but again, I'm in a different position than the average guy. So the average guy that's looking for a Wiley or looking for a, a DK, you know, lure or whatever, you gotta, you gotta play the games and go on the Facebook groups and, and try and get them. Is it, it's a little bit, it's again, it's one of those things where it's kind of an inclusive club. If, if you're not part of it, it is hard to get some of those lures. And I know average people feel a little bit left out, but at the end of the day, there's so many options out there in the musky world right now that there's, there's no excuse to be upset that you didn't get a Wiley or you didn't get a DK or you didn't get a bar fighter. There's, there's just so many options out there for people at every single price point that, you know, there's never been a better time to be a musky angler. In your store up there, do you got are you stocking stuff from all over? Are you guys sticking pretty much with the local baits, like the local basement companies or no, it's it's a full on retail, so it's it's oh. all the it's all the big shops. So it's you know, chaos tackle, musky oh, cool. mayhem, musky innovations. Like so that that would that, that helps for local guys too, I'm sure. If you're able oh, to yeah, get some of the state stuff and stock it in a way that they can get it. No, that's right. And and she stocks everything, all the major stuffs in there, like every major brand. And then she's got, you know, some of the smaller brands, like she brings in supernatural baits, stuff like that. So it, it she's able to cover a lot of ground in, in a retail environment. And again, going direct on a lot of her stuff and dealing with the companies one-on-one that opens it up that she can get a lot of baits that maybe some other shops couldn't. So access isn't really a huge issue up here. There's enough shops and enough places to get most of the baits. It's when you get into those boutique type stuff again, where that's kind of that, you know, exclusive club. I, I was going to ask a question about this. Cause I, I don't know how, how guys are kind of handling some of this now. I know like I just started collecting musculars like this year. It's been something I wanted to do, but like, have you been, Glenn, have you been down to the Odyssey? I heard you mention, talk about the Minnesota show, but have you been down to the Odyssey at all? Yeah, I was at the Odyssey in 2019. We were in the St. Croix booth and also part of the, the booth was Lake X, but we witnessed the lineup to the hose bait booth. That's probably where you're going with this, Ryan. And we talked to Sean the night before and we were like, Hey, can we buy this? And he's like, if I sold it to the guys that are here tonight setting up, I'd have nothing for anybody the next day. The lineup was out the building. And when they opened the doors, everybody went to the hose bait booth. He had a limit of two per and guys were lining up to buy them there's a bunch of other baits but it was all about the hose baits it was absolutely crazy that's what i wanted to ask about was the hose baits but are are there any baits that you have in your collection right now or just to fish with or collecting like any like higher caliber baits or anything you would consider you know something like on that level i'm just curious if you if you're if you're more of like a fisherman right now or if you have you know like a small collection of stuff going on there um for us baits are just tools mm-hmm. i have pretty much one of everything in the garage so like the backdrop to our videos like that bait wall again that's, that's one, one of the of... coolest backdrops in any video too by the way <laughs> that looks like a really cool place to be that's the only clean spot in my shop my wife would say but <laughs> 
we made that bait wall twofold. You put all your baits up, you can see them, you can go through them, you, you know what you have. And it made a really cool backdrop to the video. But we have a couple hose baits on there. We have a bunch of supernaturals. I got some bar fighters. Like we have a bit of everything. And that's not bragging. That's just when you get some connections in your in the industry, you you search out these lures. And that being said, there's not a single lure on there that I wouldn't tie on and risk losing in a Canadian shield rock, even like a lip lock from Supernatural or a, a bar fighter. Like to me, it's just a lure. If it catches fish, if it's great. If it doesn't work, or I don't like the action. It goes back up on the wall and we just don't talk about it. I don't collect baits. I don't collect guitars. I don't collect really much of anything. It's just everything for us is more or less a tool. And it's, it's all about, you know, the end game of it. I appreciate you know, some of the guys that collect the lures. And I think that it, it's interesting. We see it inside this little Dadson club, the guys that buy these just super collectible Dadsons. And when Dadson made the blade baits with the skull plasma print on them, like everybody wanted them. Johnny sent me a couple and we just beat the living crap out of them. And guys in the club are like, oh my God, I can't believe you use that lure. I'm like, oh, it's a musky lure. What, what am I supposed to do with it's it? That's what I'm it's just, made for. I'm just right. going to hang it on the wall and look at it. Like it does me no good. So we're, we're not those guys. We're just, we, we beat the living crap out of everything. And if it breaks, we'll just call and get a new one. And hopefully it'll perform as good as the, the original one. Cool. That's what I was after. I appreciate it. <laughs> Ryan's a man of many baits yeah yeah i mean i understand that i fish a lot of them just not the ones that are directly behind me i love that i love the 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 collectible lures man like i i i think that's it's such a niche industry it's such a it's it's a niche within a niche you know what i mean because mm. i mean musky fishing in and of itself is the smallest little part of the fishing industry you know, and then to have, you know, your bait collectors and your bait builders, that's an even smaller little sliver sliver out of that smaller sliver. So I don't know. I, I appreciate the people that do that. I think there's room for, for all of it. And I know the average guy gets frustrated when they see that some of the prices of these baits are so high, but that the beginners are not into it to, to try and to buy a, a hose bait at 450 bucks and just hang it on the wall. They're better served by just getting an off the shelf bait at their you know, Bass Pro shop and going fishing and catching a muskie. It, it's two different markets. It's two different places and there's room for all of it. And, and I'm sure one day when we start to wrap up our muskie fishing career, that there's going to be some baits that just mean more to me. Like that original toad kind of back to what Tom had said, I still have it hanging on the wall. It's been repaired so many times, but that thing, it's just, it's got a meaning to it. Just like my old beat up white strat guitar. It just, it means something to me. It's, it's not pretty to look at, but it just, it has that memory, right? Tells a story. Absolutely. It does. I have one up there from our, we have a little weekend every year where we go up to Owens camp and fish. And it was the hot bait. Like I think our last hunks weekend on like 21, it's torn to shreds, but I love it. I, I'm, I'm taking it everywhere. It's like my favorite decoration. The head's falling out of it. The hooks, the hook hangers are falling out of it. They tell a story, man. It's cool. It's cool to hand it to someone and say, like, oh, look at this thing. Like, these are these are what these fish do. Absolutely. It is. I think that's that's part of why guys get into musky fishing, because it, it part of it, 
I think like Tom said, or uh, Owen said, you know, the industry is so big and musky fishing is so small in there. And then guys that actually catch muskies, it's even fewer. Mm-hmm. And when you go out on the average day and you spend 12 hours fishing and you maybe get one fish, like if you broke down that percentage of the time and effort you put in, it's so minuscule, but that memory can last so long. And it's about the fish. It's about the figure eight. It's about the net job. And and people tell us these stories and that it's super cool. Nobody tells you the story of the walleye that almost jumped out of the net and it was 24 inches and oh my God, like it beat up my shad wrap. Like just nobody talks about those stories, but you can sit and talk about that story of that 45 inch muskie that head shook and shook the lure in the net and you barely got it. And you, you remember that story like it was yesterday. And that's, that's the, the bond that you get with muskie fishing. It's not like any other freshwater fish. Yeah. Couldn't agree more, man. And, and you know, Nailed it. and all it takes is really one, one experience with the fish like that, that, that typically gets someone hooked and, you know, gets them to, to start fishing and end up start a stupid podcast <laughs> called the musky. <Muskie> <laughs> well, Spend it, all your money. If you're Ryan Reed. Right. Right. Well, this has been a lot of fun, Glenn. I, I'm, I'm really glad we got to do this. I, I, I apologize. We only got to do it with the three of us here. Uh, but you know, I'm really glad we got to talk about this. We could probably go on all night if we, if we really wanted to, but, uh, I know I got to get to get to my family duties. I know you, I don't know if you have to work tonight or tomorrow. I know, I think you, you said you do, uh, you, do you work night shift or you get up at like 3am or something? Uh, this week of my night, so I don't have to go to work till tomorrow afternoon, but yeah, normally I would be getting up at like 2.30 a.m., but yeah, I got Ugh. the tech, I got the text from the wife that it's time to give her the old wrap up, but I appreciate, <laughs> I appreciate you guys having me on and I, I look forward to maybe, you know, in the future we can come back and do another one of these. It was really fun. I know we didn't talk a lot about the shield fishing, but there's a lot of other issues in know in the musky community that i think a lot of beginners look to and and try to find their way through it and you know if i just summed it up i would just say for the beginners or the the newer anglers out there just don't give up get out there and catch that 38 inch fish or that 40 inch fish and be happy and post it and and know that you're you know you're on the right track you don't have to have a lure collection like ryan to be at the top (laughs) of the club you can you can grab a couple suics and a couple whatever the local bucktail is in, in your area and get out there and do it and you know, one day there's somebody out there right now that's going to have the next podcast, that's going to have the next YouTube channel. And it's not going to be me because, like Tom said, I'm an old guy. I only no, got a couple of years left like here. <laughs> and there's going to be that next guy that's going to come in and take the industry by storm. And I, I'm looking forward to it. But in the meantime, we're going to try and help out as many people as we can with what, you know, avenue we have through the youtube and the social media and working with some of the companies that we do work with and i'll just a couple shameless plugs like i work with musky hunter i do stuff with the musky 360 the joe booker app with Stephen paul um so that's been really fun i do stuff with hook magazine up in canada and i do work with a bunch of you know companies in the states i work with suic lake x chaos tackle musky innovations um uh, husky musky leaders up in canada barbarian braid we just just because we don't say we're pro stuff doesn't mean that we're not you know professionally working with these guys and those companies are great because they're 
they're the companies that are starting to see that change in the industry and knowing that just an average guy that goes out and, and fishes and throws up a couple videos can actually have a little bit of say in this industry. So I think that bodes well for just beginners and people getting into it that they, you can do this. You can go here and, and catch fish and make something of yourself. And if you want to do something in the industry, there's lots of avenues to do it. For sure. Very cool. Now, if they want our listeners want those in-depth shield tips, where can they find you, Glenn? Easiest is just go online and search 54 bust and you will find pretty much everything about me. We got a website. I don't do much on there. Sorry about that, but go on YouTube, just search 54 bust. You'll find us. We'll be the first thing. Instagram 54 bust, um, Facebook 54 bust or Glenn McDonald. And if the guys want to actually send me an, an email, my link is in the YouTube videos, or it's just simply musky at 54bus.com. You can send me an email. I'll get back to you. And then usually just exchange phone numbers and talk via text is much easier. I like to just get on a phone call. Unfortunately, when I got on a phone call with Jeff Contreras, that pretty much wiped my afternoon out. But You're trapped when he gets I on. Yeah, I like talking muskies with pretty much everybody. So that's what we do. I do a clothing brand. Unfortunately, the YouTube kind of took precedent. So I haven't done much with that, but we are going to be doing another run of some clothing. So I'll kind of look forward to that. That's usually pretty popular when we do some stuff. So again, I really appreciate it, guys. It's been a great talk. I know a couple hours flies by pretty quick. Hopefully it does. When, it does, doesn't it? Yeah. And hopefully when the guys are listening to this, they can get something out of it. They will. And we'll Absolutely. get you back on for a, for a, maybe a mid season update or something. Once it gets rolling. Absolutely. All right, Glenn. Have a good night, man. Thanks, Glenn. Hey, it was thanks, awesome. Thanks, Glenn. Okay, guys. take care, fellas. I had to shake him on my last case. Big O don't play. Big o don't play.